This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 2 The Red Panda peeled back the bright red gauntlet from his left wrist and glanced at his wristwatch. He was a little early. He stepped quietly to the edge of the rooftop and surveyed his domain. Even at this late hour, his city still hummed as if it were a living thing and shone in the darkness like a tarnished jewel. He stood easily, with one foot up on the lip of the roof, his hands resting on his raised leg. But even in stillness, there was no disguising the energy within, like a tiger in repose. He resisted the impulse to glance at his watch again. It had been two and a half minutes since the last time he looked, and that meant she was not yet late. Below him... Bloor Street stretched to the west, receding into the distance until the lights became indistinct points and continued far beyond. To the south, Jarvis Street was eerily calm. The evenings were warm now, with the promise of the real heat of summer soon to come hanging above the pavement late into the night. It would take until near dawn for the streets to cool off, but here at rooftop level the air was fresh. He leaned forward and surveyed the street directly below the Robinson building with a clinical air. Nothing. The streets were almost entirely empty, and those few who ventured forth moved quickly, quietly, and unmolested. He held this pose for another three minutes and twenty seconds. He knew that it had been three minutes and twenty seconds, and that meant she was a minute late. He looked at his watch anyway. She was one minute and fifteen seconds late. The red panda looked up into the low-hanging mist above him for the first time. His hand moved to the side of his mask, as if to activate the infrared senses, and thought better of it. He looked back towards the street for a moment, not really thinking about what he was seeing. He almost looked at his watch again when he heard it. From far above, just the slightest note of a joyful whoop on the wind. He stood stock still his eyes tearing at the sky for another moment before she appeared, rolling from one low cloud into another. The angle she was stretched out on said her circles of the building would be wide and slow, as befit the lack of visibility. He waited a moment, and she appeared again below the haze at last. The flying squirrel's lean, athletic shape stretched out across the night sky as she looped down in lazy circles, the wind whipping in her face, the gliding membranes built into her costume taut with a strain, a smile of perfect contentment on the girl's face. It was good to have a job you really loved. She swooped in, circling one final time, and almost brushing against his fedora as she passed above him. He did not move or flinch. She was low now, and still moving too fast. She pulled her elbows down and allowed her gliders to billow like a pair of sails and pull her upright. She rolled with the momentum and flipped backwards once, firing the countercharge in her static shoes as she twisted to return to a vertical position mere inches above the ground. Sparks flew from the soles of her shoes for an instant, and she landed as softly as a cloud. She walked forward with her momentum and turned to face him just as casually as if she were stepping off a bus. He resisted the urge to smile. That last bit, with a mid-air flip, had been just for him and he knew it, but he tried to look mildly disapproving. "'Did you miss me?' she asked coyly, walking toward him. "'You're late,' 
he said flatly. She smiled, and her toothy grin seemed to light up the night. "'You miss me,' she said with a confidence she was not truly possessed of. She flipped the goggles on her flying helmet to the top of her cowl and gave her head a little shake. She had used these gliders almost every night since he had given them to her, but it was still a rush of adrenaline, even on a quiet night like this. She could feel a little sweat forming on her upper lip and brushed it away with her grey-gloved hand as casually as she could as she looked up at him expectantly. Well? she asked. He frowned. He had clearly missed something. Well, what? he asked. You have notes, she said matter-of-factly, her left hand on her hip. I do? He tried not to sound surprised before deciding that it would have been better to try not to sound confused. She pursed her lips to one side and scrunched up her nose at him, buying none of it. You watch me circle that whole way down, and that means you have a little something to say about it? Ah, he said wisely, stalling for time. It had not really occurred to him that he had been watching closely the entire time, but he knew that it was true. Almost any other person in the city would have watched, rapt, at the athletic wonder of the girl in flight, and fully half of the population would have been unable to look away from the unmistakably feminine shape that graced the form-fitting catsuit of the flying squirrel. But it was an activity in which he tried very hard not to indulge. She looked up at him expectantly, braced for a critique. In an instant, he disliked that this is what she expected from him. No notes, he said simply. She cocked her head to one side, surprised. The ears on the top of her cowl waggled a little when she did so, and he tried not to notice it. Nothing? she said, surprised, and he thought perhaps a touch disappointed. Disappointed? What chance did this give him? The role at the end seemed a little dramatic, he said wryly. But that was rather the point, wasn't it? Yes, boss, she beamed. I toyed with swiping your hat. I could tell, he said stone-faced. One of these days I'm going to do it, you know, she said. That will be an interesting day, he nodded. She smiled and broke to the left a bit to look over the edge of the rooftop. She stretched her arms as she did so, but stopped, and suddenly spun around on her heels to face him again. So if you have no notes, she said, with her chin tucked in and looking up at him with her brown eyes as big as dinner plates, what were you looking at all that time? She was vamping a little and clearly teasing him. Had anyone else been watching, it would also have been clear to them that the flying squirrel was not really kidding. It sounded like she was, but she wasn't. Not really. And just about anyone else watching the two of them would have known it in an instant, but not him. Baxter, behave yourself, he scolded. He could feel his ears grow hot, but felt certain that she couldn't see them in the darkness. She grinned and held up her hands in mock protest. I'm just saying, she trailed off. The red panda drew himself up to his considerable height and gave the distinct impression that he was done being teased. Just because I didn't see any mistakes doesn't mean that I wasn't watching for them, he said sternly. Oh, she said, her smile fading. You just didn't make any, he said, trying to cushion his last statement. She shrugged a little. Anyway, he added, if you did, I couldn't tell. I don't glide, you're the expert. She seemed quite pleased by this and turned back toward the lights of the city with her chin just slightly in the air and said nothing. Quiet tonight, he offered. Very, she said. 
I even took a turn down the Danforth. It was like church on Saturday. You flew across the valley? He seemed surprised. Sure, she said. It's beautiful at night. So dark and quiet. Seems like a long glide, he said. What if you ran out of steam? She looked at him quizzically. I'd land in a tree and have a long walk home, I guess, she said. But I have static shoes to help push, and I can catch a thermal and ride it like a hawk. I'm the expert, remember? She smiled and batted her eyelashes at him. I'm the boss, he said, remember? She flashed a look up the length of him that was so quick she probably didn't even realize that she'd done it. Sure, she offered. I remember. He blinked beneath his mask, not quite knowing what to do with that, and turned back towards the city lights. They stood in silence for a moment. "'Why don't you?' she asked at last. "'Why don't I what?' he asked, confused. "'Glide,' she said. "'You built the things for me. Why did you never whip up a pair for yourself?' "'I did,' he said. She blinked at him in astonishment and said nothing. "'They didn't work,' he said. "'Too heavy.' They were a promising failure that I pulled out of mothballs when I suddenly had a much smaller partner. You never told me that, she said astonished. I was trying to get you to use them to jump off buildings, he grinned. I tried not to use the words like promising failure. It's an interesting point, she agreed, and turned back to the city stretched out before them. Besides, he said, they require the use of tights, and real men fight crime in a nice suit. Yes, boss. She grinned. They watched the street for another moment. Quiet tonight, she said. Yes, he agreed. No gang activity, no supervillains, no craze killer robots on a spree, <laughs> she continued. Yes, he said again. Kind of boring, really, she said. It is a bit, he nodded. Ah, uh, I just jinxed it, didn't I? She asked. Oh, I should think so, he said. Good. She smiled. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end of the week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of effus. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.